Let me, can, I just, can I just preach simple tonight? I'm not into complicated tonight. I don't know that I've ever preached, Sister Betty, a complicated sermon. That's just not who I am. I just like preaching a simple truth that I want to leave here with you this evening. And in a few moments, I'm not going to go there for a few minutes, but in a, in a few moments I'll be going to, to 1 Samuel chapter 30, a familiar story. But I want to set this up for just a little bit before you read with me. You know, it's no secret that we have been through quite an ordeal. I preached this morning out of Daniel chapter 3 where the king said, Turn the furnace up seven times hotter than it normally is and throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in there after you turn it up seven times hotter. I preached this morning about how do we live when the heat's turned up. Nobody here will deny tonight that the heat has been turned up on the church. Even before COVID-19 started, the heat was turned up. But through all of 2020, it just seemed like it was one thing right after the next. And brothers and sisters, I want to tell you, COVID may go away sooner or later. It will go away. We know that. But you might as well brace yourself. The storm is not going to go away. Until Jesus comes and raptures the church away, we are going to be fighting. We're going to be in a battle for righteousness. We're going to be in a battle for morality. I was in a meeting in South Carolina yesterday, and I shared with the pastors that I was talking to yesterday. It's amazing me what we're discussing these days. It's amazing me the things that we're having to consider and talk about and prepare ourselves for and, and how to fight back against it and how to push back against it. Things that are being talked about in Washington, D.C. today. That's forcing the church to pray like she's never prayed before. Oh, I've done got started now. Somebody's done flipped my switch. I'm appalled. I'm appalled at what the church is being asked to tolerate. Oh, I love everybody. I'm not going to be found guilty of not loving anybody. I love a sinner enough to tell him the truth. I love a sinner boy and a sinner girl enough to tell them the truth in the love of Christ, but I'm going to tell them the truth. But the church is being drawn into a conflict and into a battle that I believe Jesus forewarned us of in Matthew 24. Brothers and sisters, we are living right in the middle of Matthew 24. When Jesus gave that long list to his disciples of things that they could anticipate in the end time, we're right there. I could talk about wars and rumors of wars. You know all about that. I could talk about sickness, famine, pestilence. We've lived through that. But we need to spend a little bit of time, sometime, talking about apostasy that Jude said would creep in unaware. My Lord, help me, Jesus. See, what that means is we're going to wake up one day and find that it's infiltrated and taken over the church, and we didn't know when it came in. Lean over and just whisper to somebody and say, he's already preaching better than you're shouting. See, these are the days we're in. This isn't a picnic. This is not a parade. This is war. I'll talk more about that after a while. But on the other side of that, what we have to look forward to is the fact that Jesus said when he returns, 
He's coming back for a glorious church. We're not going to hobble out of here. I tell you what, I'm preaching myself happy. The longer I go, the happier I'm getting. We're not going to hobble out of here on crutches, bandaged up, black-eyed and bloody. I believe when Jesus calls us home, we will be a glorified church, victorious through the blood of Jesus Christ, by the power of the name of Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Ghost. And we're going to take as many with us as we can through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's kind of what I want to use this Old Testament story to talk about tonight. The road to recovery. The road to recovery. We've been through a conflict this last year. We've been through strife. We've been through crisis this last year. What does the road to recovery look like? Where do we go from here? What do we do now? How can we tell that we indeed are experiencing victory? Let me read to you from 1 Samuel chapter 30. It came to pass, verse 1, it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. They had taken the women captive that were there. They didn't kill any of them, either great or small, but they carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire. Their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. Have you ever cried like that? There's been a lot of that going on in 2020. People have wept until they were exhausted in the weeping. The grief has been horrendous. Let's skip to verse 6. David was greatly distressed. Pastors, I want you to, I want you to pay attention to this verse. David was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Sometimes you got to do it for yourself. You can't find a praise team. You can't find somebody to play the keyboard. You can't find somebody to shout with you. You've got to be in a place where you can shout all by yourself. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Let's skip all the way through the most of that chapter. Look at verse 18. Verse 18 begins with these words, David recovered all that had been taken away. Look at the end of verse 19. There it is again. David recovered all. Now how do you get from the early part of that chapter where you've lost it all to almost the end of that chapter where you've recovered it all. You traveled down the road of recovery. Father, I pray that you bless now not only the reading of your word, but my feeble efforts at proclaiming your word tonight. God, when I drive away from here tonight, let me look back on this service and know that I did my best to deposit faith and hope in those that are hearing the word this evening. And I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. This is a familiar story. It's a story of David before he became a king. He was a leader of men. He was destined to lead. He was destined to be used of God in unbelievable, unimaginable ways. But before he could step up and ascend to his destiny... 
the enemy of his life, the enemy of his soul, fought him with everything that he could throw at him. David found himself in what I call the hellacious middle. The hellacious middle. Somebody say, what in the world does that mean? Well, I take that from what I heard somebody said one time. They said that God will allow a door in your life to be closed in order to open another. But you find yourself standing in the middle experiencing everything that hell can throw at you. David had had doors closed. Doors would open, but they're not open yet. And David is standing in this middle place and the swirling debris of conflict and confusion and controversy is swirling around his head and he doesn't necessarily know what to do at any given moment. That's what I call the hellacious middle. When you know you're destined, you know you're going to experience breakthrough at some point point in time, but it's not open yet, and yet the door has closed behind you. You're in that dark place, and that's where a lot of people have been this last year. We've been in the middle. The door of 2019 and anything we enjoyed and the success and the favor and the revival, it seemed to close, and then we entered into 2020 with all the promise and all the hope, and by the early part of March, all the doors of promise and all the doors of joy seemed to have closed on us, and we didn't know what to do, and confusion was swirling about us, and conflict was swirling about us, and we didn't really know which way to turn. But here's something I want you to remember tonight. The things that David went through that I'm going to elaborate on in a moment. None of them were about what David was going through. It was about what God was bringing David to in his life. And every crisis and every trial prepared him and made him ready for victories that he would enjoy in the future. I want to say something, and I don't want to be misunderstood. I'm going to do my best to say it very carefully. This situation that has come this last year has been most difficult. We have grieved, we have wept, we have cried. But I refuse to believe God has turned his back on us and walked away. And I'm going to stand here tonight and tell you by faith that what we've been through is not about what we've been through. It's not about COVID-19. It's not about 2020. It's not about any other crisis that may have happened last year. It's not about what we went through. It's about what we're coming to. I came by to tell you God still has his hand upon the church. He still has his hand upon your home. He still has his hand upon your family and your ministry. He's bringing us to something. The sun is shining. Victory is ahead for the people of God. Oh, let me preach right there just a minute. If God be for us, who can be against us. There is no weapon formed against us that can prosper. When we walk through the fire, the flame will not kindle upon us, and through the waters, the river will not overflow us. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. There have always been trials. There have always been storms, but there has also always been a God who said, I'll walk in the fire with you. I'll walk around in the lion's den with you. I'll cross the Red Sea with you. I'll see you through this trial. It's about what God is bringing us to. Now clap your hands to the Lord in this house. Hallelujah. As a matter of fact, if I read this story carefully and if I read it correctly, everything that David goes through in this story, everything, 
the loss of his treasure, the loss of his family, the loss of his home, the crisis he went through in leadership. If I read it right, all of this happened only three days before he wore his first crown. Think about that. In 72 hours, David would go from crisis to coronation. I may not preach another word after that right there. I need to tell somebody in this room tonight, you may only be three days away from your greatest victory. What today is your greatest struggle? What today is your greatest trial? In 72 hours, it could totally be different. Maybe in 48 hours, maybe in 24 hours, maybe in the 30 minutes it takes me to preach this sermon. My God, what would that be like if in a half hour, the Holy Ghost showed up and knocked on your door and said, I'm here to do a divine turnaround in your life? Saul would die, Jonathan would die in battle. And they would call upon David to lead. But while he's standing there in that hellacious middle, that middle place of the unknown, that middle place of the uncertain, David shows us a pattern of how we should live. He shows us some steps here of how we should do in our times of crisis. Let's look at them. Number one, you weep. You weep. I read it for you. The Bible says that David and his men wept until they had no more power, no more strength to weep. So let me just share something with you that doesn't sell my books very well. Let me share something with you that doesn't sell CDs and DVDs very well. Let me share something with you that doesn't get me on Christian television very often. Because, Betty, the last time I was on Christian television and said this was the last time I was on Christian television. Somebody said, what do you do when troubles come? Here it is. Sit down and have yourself a good cry. How's that for faith, Brother Pastor? I know you weren't expecting that, but I'm going to tell you, weeping is part of our DNA, and it begins a healing process. Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. Abraham wept when Sarah died. Peter wept when he realized that he had denied the Lord, but that weeping was a cleansing, and that weeping prepared the heart as if you were to till a ground and till the field for God to come in and plant seeds of hope and promise into it's all right to cry. I love what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmity. Not just the fact of our infirmity, but the, but the feeling of it. As omniscient God, he knows the facts about everything. He knows the facts about your heartache and the facts about your sickness. But he also knows what is known as the pathos, the emotion, the feeling of it. Disease has a feeling. Heartbreak has a feeling. Divorce has a feeling. Betrayal has a feeling. And we have a high priest who says, I've been there, I've done that, and I know how you feel. Years ago when I pastored over in Danville, Virginia, I went to the hospital one Saturday to see our church custodian. He had gone into the hospital to have knee replacement surgery. That was back in those days when they had just started doing that 
particular kind of surgery, and he had gone in for knee replacement surgery. I went in on a Saturday morning. I was trying my best to get ready to preach on Sunday. I, I didn't really have it. I didn't yet know what I was going to preach. But I had to take time to go see this man. He just had surgery a couple of days before, and, and I needed to go see him. Then I was going to go to the church and really beg God to give me a sermon. So I walked into his room, and I made a big mistake. My big mistake was I said, hey, George, how you doing? Did he ever tell me how he was doing? He come close to cussing me right there on the spot. I'm telling you, he looked at me and he yelled at me. He said, I'll tell you how I'm doing, preacher. That's the way he said it. They called me preacher back there in Danville. He said, I'll tell you how I'm doing, preacher. He said, I thought I had pain before the surgery. He said, I'm sure I had pain while it was going on. I was just knocked out and didn't know it. But he said, I've never known in my life the pain that I just knew. A few moments ago before you got here, when the therapist came in and lifted me out of this bed and said, Mr. Stone, we're going to walk today. I said, today? They made you walk today? He said, yep. He said, they lifted me up, and when the weight of my body went down through my legs, I yelled and I screamed. I said, throw me back in that bed. Don't lay me down in it. Just pick me up and throw me in the bed. I said, what did they do, George? He said, they nudged me out in the middle of the floor. And with every step, I cried. With every step, I felt the pain. I held on to that walker, and I, I was just inching along. He said, I finally made it over there to that door, and he pointed to the door. He said, I grabbed the facing of that door. I said, I refuse to go any further, but they nudged me out in the hallway. He said, I turned the best I could, and I looked at my therapist. I said, would you please tell me why today of all days we got to walk? He said, Mr. Stone, it's like this. If we don't move those bones and those joints and those ligaments... He said infection can set in. And if infection sets in and it goes to your heart, it's going to kill you. And he said, here's the deal, Mr. Stone. Sometimes it hurts to heal. When he said that, I reached into my pocket and pulled out my pen and started writing down on a little piece of paper, sometimes it hurts to heal. He said, preacher, what in the world are you doing? I said, George, I didn't have a sermon when I walked in here, but buddy, I got one now. And I went to the church that next morning and I preached on sometimes it hurts to heal. And I need to tell somebody here tonight, yeah, sometimes it hurts to heal. But there's healing on the other side of the tears. And there's healing on the other side of the pain. Because God said, I'm not going to let you go through this by yourself. And weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. What do you do on the worst day of your life? You just sit down and weep. But we all know you can't stay there. David shows us the next thing. When he's in that middle place of the unknown, he not only weeps, but he waits. He waits on God. Watch this. The Bible said when all of this is closing in on him, he called for the priest ephod. That was an Old Testament means and measure of getting in the presence of God. That's basically what he was doing. He was moving himself into the presence of God because the priest ephod was a garment that the high priest would wear, and it came attached typically to that 12-stone breastplate, and there were times when those stones would illuminate, and depending on how all of that worked, they would illuminate, and people believed they were receiving direction from the Lord. Now, we have the inner witness of the Holy Spirit now. We don't depend on that kind of thing. But nonetheless, that's what God used back in that day to give direction to the people. And David said, I need the priest to come with the ephod. That simply meant I've got to hear from God. 
Now that required David pulling himself away from the noise. He's got all these hundreds of soldiers breathing down his neck. And they're mad at him because they don't think he's an effective leader in crisis. Ain't no pastor here tonight felt that way in the last year. They're mad at David because they've lost their wives and their children. Their houses have been burned down. Their treasure has been stolen. And they don't think David's moving fast enough to get them back into battle and regain all of this and get revenge. So the first thing David has to do, he has to separate himself from the noise, the criticism, the cynicism. All of those people breathing down his neck and he gets alone in the presence of God. Let me tell you something. Before you can hear from God, you first have to separate yourself from hearing from everybody else because everybody's got an opinion and everybody knows how you need to be doing this. If you don't believe me, spend five minutes on Facebook. I told the crowd this morning, my wife Paul and I have made a conscientious decision. Several months ago, decision number one, we turned off the evening news. I'm not telling you you have to do that. I'm just telling you that's how I keep my joy. Somebody said, well, have you stuck your head in the sand? No, because somebody always tells me what I need to know. Matter of fact, somebody came by the other day and said, did you know what they're saying about you on Facebook? I said, no, and I don't need you to tell me. If they got a nose, they got an opinion. So I've decided I'm turning off the evening news, and we decided to turn this baby off about 75% of the time. And we've come to a place that we just think, you know, it's better if we'll just do what Paul said. Whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are holy, whatsoever things are lovely, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. You've got to separate yourself from the noise. So David gets in God's presence and he just waits. Now think about that a moment. How hard is that to do? When crisis is going on around you, and most of us are built with that DNA that says react, respond, do something now. And then you've got people pushing you to do it. How hard that must have been for David to just get alone and wait in God's presence. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. So David gets in God's presence. He says, God, I've got to ask you a couple of things here now. God's never afraid of your questions. He's not intimidated and he's not offended. So God, here's my question. Shall I pursue the enemy that stole our families and destroyed our village? That's question number one. Question number two, if I do that, are you going to go with me? And it's more important that I hear an answer to the second part than the first part. Because I've struck out too many times trying to go too far on too little. When I thought I could do it on my own and in my own strength and power. God, I've got to know you're with me this time. And listen to what God says to David. Do you believe God still speaks to his children? God said to David, David, get up, brush yourself off, dry your tears, get back into battle because I am with you. You shall recover all. I need to tell you tonight, church, God is with you and you shall recover all. Get back in the fight. Get back in the battle. Don't sit around and let the devil run roughshod over you and, and leave you eating his dust. I came by to tell you, get back in it because God is with you. And if God be for you, who can be against you? What do you do in a year like we've had? Well, you weep. We've wept, still weeping. But then we wait. 
Ah, but here's the third thing. We worship. Don't lose your capacity to praise. Don't lose your ability to worship God even in the worst of times. Now, let me tell you something. The word praise is not here. The word worship is not in this story. The Bible does not say that David started singing a song. So how can I have the audacity to say that David worshipped? Well, when I read that little phrase that says, David encouraged himself in the Lord, that's the source of that. See, you don't get that any other way. You dive into his word and you begin to meditate on the good things of God and you begin to worship him and praise him. You see, David was a songwriter. And I think what David might have done, he went into his mind and he pulled off the shelves of his library in his brain the old hymn book called the book of Psalms. And he began to read those lyrics and those lines and he began to rehearse the goodness of the Lord that he had written about. And he said, oh my goodness, I think I'll sing this song. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not all of his benefits who healeth all our diseases and forgiveth all our iniquity. And David said, hmm, I'm feeling better now. He said, I think I'll sing another one. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of the Lord shall be praised. David said, mm, I'm feeling better now. He said, I think I'll sing good old page 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff they comfort me thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemy my cup runneth over surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell I shall dwell I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and David said saddle up boys we're gonna go get our family saddle up boys we're gonna go get our treasure saddle up boys we're gonna rebuild our home because God is with us on the worst day of your life, get your harp out of the willow tree and praise God anyhow. You can do it. Oh, I got I to gotta testify here. Several years ago when I was still in world missions, I walked into my office or in the hallway leading to my office one Monday morning, minding my own business. Thought it was going to be a good day. Sun was shining outside. Birds were singing. Springtime. Everything's wonderful. And I'm walking down the hallway thinking where I'd been the day before. The day before I'd been to a church about like this, and I'm telling you, we had high church. We sang. We shouted. We danced. We did everything you can do in a Pentecostal church. I had a little choir behind me, and I was preaching about David bringing back the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And I was just hitting all those one-liners, you know. I mean, with rapid bullet fire, I was just putting it out. I was saying stuff like there's two times to praise God, when you feel like it and when you don't. And I'd put a Pentecostal huh in between all of that. I said, you can praise or you can pout, huh? You can sing or you can sigh, huh? You can bellyache with cynicism or you can break forth with singing, huh? You can wave a white flag of surrender or you can hoist a banner of victory. Huh? 
I mean, I had it. And every time I'd go hunt, they'd go, whoa, yeah. <laughs> and then I'm talking about David. The Bible said David danced before the Lord with all of his might. And I preached on that a few minutes, and then I hit this thing right here. I said, you know what? There's still deliverance in the dance. When I said that, that little group of singers behind me started dancing. Most of the crowd in front of me started dancing. I was the only one not dancing. And I thought, man, you started this party. You might all have joined into it. So I, I don't know how to dance, but I moved a little bit. I don't know if I was two-stepping or bunny-hopping. I don't know what I was doing, moonwalking maybe. I don't know. But we had high church. That was on Sunday. Monday morning, I'm walking down the hall at general headquarters going into the world missions wing. I guess they heard me when I opened the door, but they started coming out of every office and out of every corner to tell me bad news. I mean, they got on me and said, have you heard about the earthquake in Central America? As soon as they got through giving me that report, somebody said, have you heard about the typhoon in Asia? Then somebody said, have you heard about the economic crash in Greece? I'm telling you, by the time I got to my desk, it was one problem after the next. And I'm sitting at my desk at 9 o'clock in the morning, staring at the grain on my desk, saying, my God, what are we going to do with all of this? And I'm telling you, as clear as a bell, I heard the Holy Ghost say, what did you preach yesterday? My first reaction was, well, I hope you know what I preached. I hope you were there. And I rehearsed what I preached. I said, I preached on you can praise your way out of a problem, sing your way out of sorrow, worship your way out of worry. I said, that's what I preached. And the Holy Ghost said, well, then act like that now. Do some of that now. I said, now? Now, right here? We don't act like that around here too much. So I just started staring at my desk again. And the more I stared at it and the more time went by, the heavier it got. I said, God, you got to help me. i got to try to respond to some of this today, and I don't even know where to start. He said, what did you preach yesterday? I said, I preached on there's deliverance in the dance. He said, do that now. Do it here. I said, here? At general headquarters in Cleveland, Tennessee? You want me to dance here and act like that? here and I began to give him all these reasons why I couldn't do that I said first of all there's no music in here don't have a keyboard don't have an organ don't have a choir don't have any of that I said secondly if I start acting like that everybody that's waiting to see me out in that lobby and outside they're going to think I've lost my ever-loving mind they'll think I've had a breakdown and I'm telling you the Lord touched my heart he said well just keep trying to do it your way and see how good that goes and I confessed to him, I said, my way's not working. He said, I thought so. He said, you might want to try mine. So here's what I did, folks. Right there in my office, and back then I had two doors in my office. I had one coming in that side and one coming in this side. And I looked at both of them to make sure they were shut and locked. I promise you, I, I, I moved my chair where I could do a complete 360 and just looked around the room, made sure nobody had snuck in on me. I raised myself up out of my chair. And right there, without a song, without anybody to help me, right there, I started disco dancing in my office. All these young people don't have a clue what I just said right then. Disco, disco, disco. What's that? 
Anybody old enough to remember disco dancing? John Travolta, 1978. Staying alive. <laughs> you know too much about it, buddy. I'm telling you right now. You, you bought a ticket and went and seen the show, didn't you? Yeah, I started disco dancing, Brian. But I'm not talking about John Travolta disco dancing. When I say I started disco dancing, here's what it means to me. I raised this leg and said disco here. And I raised this leg and said disco here. And this one go here. And this one go here. I didn't have any music. I felt like a fool. But the longer I did it, the better I felt. I kind of feel foolish doing it right now. But I promise you, the more that I do it, the better I feel. On the worst day of your life, you can dance. On the worst day of your life, you can shout. On the worst day of your life, you can praise God. Don't lose your worship. In the middle of the storm. You weep and you wait and you worship. On the road to recovery. Here's one more I want to leave with you. And it's probably the most important one. You weep, you wait, and you worship. But on the road to recovery, you go to war. David rallied his men. And he said, we have a job to do. Crisis has come. But I refuse to let crisis define us as a kingdom. The enemy has captured. But I refuse to allow the tactics of the enemy to define who we will be in the future. Let's go to war. Let's turn this thing around. And he goes back against the enemy. Fast forward, the end of the story is they got their families back. They regained what they had lost. But keep in mind, David wasn't motivated by a burned down house. You can rebuild houses. He wasn't motivated by stolen treasure. With time, you can get at least some of that, if not all of it, back. What motivated David was the fact that his family had been stolen by an idol-worshiping kingdom. And they could only imagine what their families might have been going through at that moment. And David said, that's what pushes me to get back on my horse and ride. That's what pushes me to take the sword in my hand. And go back into battle. I alluded to it a few moments ago. I'm not going to take any time to go down this trail. But I want to tell you again. We are at war. I want to be very careful. Because it's been so sensitive. And it's been so hurtful. So much grief. So much weeping. And I've been, been there to do it myself. But I want to tell you, the enemy will use everything he can in these last days to defeat the child of God. Sickness, economy, stress, immorality, you name it. Go down the list. Create your own list. Satan will use that. And I want to tell you, passivity will get us absolutely nowhere. 
Somebody said, Tim Hill, you have called the church to pray at least four times in this last year. I said, yes, and I'll probably do it again because passivity gets us nowhere. I have called the church to fasting more times than I can remember, and I probably will again because passivity gets us nowhere. I have urged pastors, get online. When they were shutting our doors and we couldn't even gather, I said, get in front of a camera, preach to empty seats, but don't quit preaching the gospel. Passivity will get you nowhere. And I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, in all that we went through, I want to tell you I've never been more proud of a church and a movement in all of my life as I have been the church of God. Because here's the end result. Now you get ready for this. Get ready for this. We saw more people saved in the COVID year of 2020 than we saw in 2019. That's right. They brought me the numbers the other day. I said, am I seeing that right? They said, you are, Bishop. We saw more than 35,000 more people saved in 2020 than we saw in 2019, a year that we were supposed to be shut down, a year that we were cutting back. But what that says to me is you can't stop Jesus. You can't stop the proclamation of the gospel. You, Oh, Jesus himself said it. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. I'm going to build my church, he said, and what I build cannot be destroyed. Oh, it's war. It's war. That's why we take on the whole armor of God. The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, our loins girded about with truth, our shoes shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We hide behind the shield of faith and for a sword, the sword of the Spirit, and we pray in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. That's why we understand what Paul said when he said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. This is spiritual warfare but against powers and principalities, rulers of darkness. That's why we understand that we pull down strongholds. The weapons of our warfare are not of this flesh. They're not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down. That phrase pulling down literally means the obliteration of, the destruction of strongholds. See, there's, there's too much peaceful coexistence with our strongholds. We've got to destroy our strongholds. And the end of the story is David recovered all. And we will too. We will too. Why don't you stand with me, please? There's one more word I want to give you. They wept, they waited. They worshiped, they went to war. But the end result was they won. We are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. Yea, in all these things. Think about that. What things, Paul? You name it. You name it. Paul had been shipwrecked, bitten by vipers, accused by those he thought were loyal to him. Accused by his enemies, falsely accused, beaten and left for dead. But yet he comes back and he says, but in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Father, I'm going to bring my part of this to a close tonight. But Lord, before I do, I just want to ask you to walk these aisles, move in and out of these rows of seats. 
Lay your hands on your sons and daughters tonight. Lay your hands on your children. Speak peace to every troubled heart. Speak deliverance to every life. Meet every need in every home and in every family. Father, there have been some people that have just come to church by faith tonight because they know when they get home, the reality of what they left is still there waiting on them. So, Lord, I pray that in this message tonight, faith has been built to the maximum. Hope has been delivered to the people of God. Strengthen, encourage, and lay your hand upon every heart. Help us, God, to see our victory tonight. In Jesus' name. Pastor, if it's all right, I think what I'll do tonight, in just a few minutes, I'll just ask you to come back. But if I could, just for a moment, I'll stand here. You stay right where you are. But if you need the Lord to move into your life tonight in some area of need, here's, here's the way I want to symbolize this. This is so this is so simple. It's almost so simple I'm embarrassed to do it. But I was at a place the other night and we did this, and it just seemed like God used it to just give us a visual victory, a visual sample of, of what he really wants to do. I was in this place the other night, and I got to this point in the, in the sermon and the, and the service, and I said, here's what I want to do. When I count to three, I just want you to take one step over. And by taking that one step, here's what you're doing. You're saying, God, I'm moving over so you can move in. I'm getting out of the way so you can move and stand in the place where I've been standing. And by standing there, Lord, you're going to step into every circumstance. You're going to step into every trial that I'm facing. You're going to step into every family ordeal. Oh, God, touch our families tonight. Touch our families tonight. I was in a meeting yesterday morning, and when I got through, a pastor walked up to me, broken. Everybody else had just kind of filtered away. He held back because I knew he wanted to talk to me, and he, he came up to me. And he laid out for me one of the saddest, heartbreaking stories about a 35-year-old daughter. And I prayed with him, and he texted me today. He said, Bishop, I'm so much better today. But while he was telling that story, I could feel his heartbreak. And a moment ago, standing over there, when I said the word families, I just, I just felt so heavy then at that moment about families, sons and daughters and children that are straying from God. Satan's out for every one of them. He wants them because he wants you. And when I ask you in a moment, when I count to three, to just step over, just, just move over, and you're saying, Lord, you're stepping in to my family situation, my crisis. Can we do that? Is that too simple? Is that just too simple for us? Let, let's do that. Father, in a moment, I'm going to count to three, and I'm just going to ask everybody to move with me when I move. Father, I'm just going to ask them to step over one step to their right, and I'm going to move with them, and when we do, in that moment, we're asking you to step in right there where we've been and pick up every circumstance that we've been carrying on our shoulders. And Father, the moment we do that, let there be something just sweep through here. 
Let there be a peace. Let there be a relief. Let there be a joy come upon the people when they realize, you know what, I'm not carrying this home. I'm leaving it with God. God just stepped in. Are you ready? Are you ready? When I count to three, let's just do it. And, and at the same time, raise our hands and just worship God. One, two, three, move. There it is. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, praise God. Well, praise God. Well, praise God. I, I just felt peace right there. I just felt a peace that passes all understanding right there. Thank you, Lord. 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 Lord, pick it up. Pick it up and carry it for me. I can't carry it. It's too heavy for me. God, it's just too heavy for me. Would you pick it up? Would you pick it up, Lord Jesus, and carry that thing for me? God, I don't know what to do about it. I can't calculate the answer. I can't calculate the answer. Would you just pick it up for me? Pick it up for me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lift your hands and praise him right now. Sing whatever you have. Sing whatever you have. Give him praise right now. Thank you, Jesus.